0: And as we began to look last week, we're going to pick up in the same passage of Scripture and try to understand what Christ has done for us and in us in His resurrection. Because as we heard in the Scripture reading, is that we are raised with Christ already. We are seated with Him in the heavenly realm, and that should change who we are and how we live. It is the most beautiful demonstration of grace that God not only saves us from our sin and gives us a way out of condemnation, He gives us new life. And so today, as we look at this passage in Ephesians and some other other areas of truth, we're going to be looking at how grace um, should impact our lives. And What we'll attempt to do as part of this, because grace answers two really important questions that people normally do not ask out loud, but every one of us is thinking. The two questions are simply this. Number one, what does God want from me or from us? And number two, how does God feel about me? Now, if we're honest, we all want to know the truth of those two questions, And God has answered those questions in the person of Jesus Christ and in the grace that He extends to us. What He wants us to do is to trust Him. And how He feels about us is immeasurable love. Jesus has proven God's love. But here's here's the problem. We may know this in our minds But so often we forget in our life, in our practice. We begin to fall perhaps into one of two misunderstandings of grace. The first one is technically an accurate understanding, in that we feel unworthy. Well, the very fact that we are extended grace means that we are undeserving. I don't deserve grace. You don't deserve grace. But grace isn't about us, it's about the giver, it's about the nature of God. And what happens is when we, after we've come to a relationship with Christ, when we then choose to continue to feel as if we are unloved, because that's really how we're responding, then we are not living up to what God has given us, and we're allowing the enemy to distract us away from the transformation that God wants to work in us. And so, if you have a hard time believing that God can truly forgive you, He can truly love you, He accepts you where you are, it's in part because you have a poor understanding or have been taught a poor understanding of His grace. On the other side, we can, we can go the other direction and feel like we're worthy, that we deserve this, that I'm a pretty good person. I checked off a whole lot of boxes this week of good things. I came to church today. I, I should get some credit for that. You know, I even came early. So, I had the keys, so I had to. Um, you know, if we begin to, to feel worthy, even to the smallest degree, or as if we're deserving, then it leads to us being feeling self-sufficient self-righteous and we tend to judge others and that too is a misunderstanding of grace but what grace does what god's gift of his love for us does is it meets us where we are with the deepest needs that we have to address in our lives so if you're feeling discouraged or disqualified from god's blessing or on the other hand if you're feeling a bit proud and self-confident Both sides, we need a better understanding of His grace. If you're tired of being an up and down um, cycle in the Christian life, it's because you're not having a clear understanding of how God's grace is not something just for salvation, but for every moment of our life. I believe that is what I find as I interact with people and I see in my own struggle in, in my spiritual journey is that's where we often fall. As we heard in the Scripture, we are saved by grace. And most of us in this room would say, yes, it takes grace in order for us to be saved. The Bible tells us, I believe that. But what happens to us often is there's a subtle shift after you come into a relationship with God in that you begin to think, now I have to pay God back, and now I have to, in some way, out of my strength, I need to live as if I deserve what He's given me. Now, we do want to be obedient, but we always have to be dependent on His grace. One of the most powerful statements that we see in the Scripture, as Scripture proclaims the subject of grace, is that it not only saves us, it is grace in which we stand. Our position, our being seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, positionally, is a result of grace. It is an ongoing pouring out of the Lord for us. So, what God's grace proclaims for us is that you and I, if we've trusted Jesus as Savior, we have been made alive in Christ Jesus. We were spiritually dead, as we read in in verse 1 of Ephesians 2, but we have been made alive with Jesus Christ. Also, we see that Jesus has broken the chains that bound us in sin and death. He wants to set us free to have victory in our life, in our relationships, in every aspect of who we are. Through His grace, He wants to give us liberty. Life, salvation, and living is a gift of God's grace that is received by faith. And so it's something we have to have a good understanding and put our full trust in, God's grace. God's, uh, uh, one of my favorite authors is, is John Piper. And, I, uh, and one of the books that was really transformational for me is a book called Future Grace. And, and that, uh, in that book, in that little phrase, he, he emphasizes how grace is always future because it's always ahead of us. God's work is always ahead of us. He's already preparing the way in your life and in my life to bring transformation. And we need to remember, as we're, we're going to pick up here in, in verses 8 through 10, that we are His work and not our own. So let's look at these these verses, um, beginning in verse 8 again. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, this is really, really important because oftentimes we emphasize the first part of that that verse, that sentence in Greek, on on how we're not saved by, by our works. We understand that. We can't earn or deserve our salvation. But it goes on to say that the good works that we do do, they're not from us either. They are created in Christ Jesus. He is the initiator. He is the source Of anything good that you or I do, we are the instruments through which He works. Good works result not from our performance, but from us being created anew in Christ Jesus and Him living out His identity and His life through us. When you begin to understand that, it sets you free because then the pressure is off. What we need to pursue is Him. And more and more of knowing, loving, and abiding in Jesus Christ. Um, The word workmanship, um, this is one of my favorite verses in the Scripture. If you've been at ICP for a long time, I did a series a few years ago called Restoring the Masterpiece. And it came out of this particular verse. Because this word, workmanship, is, is an artistic word in the Greek language, in the, in the way it's written. It is the word poema, um, from which we get the word poem. Now, isn't it cool that God says you are His poem? Isn't that, isn't that cool? I mean, He doesn't say you're just, you know, you're a nice person, I, I kind of like you. Now, you're, you are my expression of my nature written into your life as a beautiful manuscript of poetry that's filled with beauty. That's what this means. That's what he wants to create in you and through you. He wants to make your life an artistic demonstration of his masterpiece as he transforms us. And we need to understand as as we read in Acts 17, in him, in Jesus Christ, we live and move and have our being. Even as some of the poets that um, they're writing to there in the early church have said, for we are indeed his offspring, his children. God is working in us to bring forth this masterpiece that is beautiful. He is our life. And now he calls us, because of that, To live free. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He has a plan for your life that is filled with good and beautiful things. Things that point to the greatness of who He is, not necessarily to our success, but to the glory of God. So how do we live free? Well, I believe that the secret to living free is understanding grace. And I'm going to give a little contrast between grace and law. As I do that, I want you to understand that the law of God's Word that is written is absolutely beautiful and powerful. It's incredible, and we need it. But we also need to understand its role. In the Gospel of John, in the first chapter, it tells us that the law came by Moses, Verse 17, but grace and truth came from Jesus Christ. And what he's saying is that both of them have roles in our life. Both of them are significant, but the work of Jesus through grace and truth is even greater than the work of the law. So let me give you the the, the great contrast between the law and grace. Law displays what is in humans sin. Grace displays what is in God, which is love. Do you see that, those two things? The law was meant to reveal how much need I have for God's forgiveness for life. The law displays what is in us. Grace displays what is in God. Does that, does that help you get a handle on, on how they, they actually fit together One reveals the deep need that we have, and the other reveals the incredible links that God has gone because of who He is to touch our lives. In the same way, law speaks to us as members of the old creation under Adam, in our sin, as people stained and bound by sin. But grace makes us members of a new creation, cleansed from the stains and released from the chains of sin. Law demands righteousness from us, and none of us measure up. Grace, however, brings God's righteousness to us. Isn't that beautiful? Law speaks of what we must do for God, but grace tells us what Jesus has done for us. Law gives us a knowledge of sin But grace takes our sin and nails it to a cross and takes the record and nails that to the cross. Law brings God out to us. It shows us what He is like. He is perfect and holy. But grace brings us to God. They fit together beautifully and we need both. But they are also opposed to one another. To a certain degree, in that the law is opposed to grace in the same way that the flesh is opposed to the spirit. In that, if we're to deal with God on the basis of law, that means that we would have to live up to all of the law, which we can't do. We can't do this in our flesh. But in grace, He empowers our spirit, His life within us to enable us to live a life that honors Him and is filled with obedience. So, what God wants to do is to use His grace in you to establish you and enable you to stand and become all that He created you to be so that you can live free in Him. This is what Jesus came to do. When we le- read His mission statement, which I believe Isaiah 61 is, is the mission statement of Jesus, what He came to do. He affirmed this as He was teaching um, in the synagogue in Capernaum. But here's what the, the passage says. He says in Isaiah 61, "...the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has appointed me to bring good news to the poor." That's us. Now, that, that poverty that it's speaking of is not financial poverty but spiritual poverty. There was nothing that we could do to save ourselves, but we needed God to come to us. And we also need God to live through us. We are helpless in our own ability. The next verse tells us that He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Maybe that describes you today. You're brokenhearted. Jesus came to you and for you. He wants to bind up the wounds in your heart. He wants to make you whole. Now, um, not only will he heal the hurt, but he will take up residence himself through his Holy Spirit in the brokenness when we call out to him, and he will bind us up with his grace and with his goodness. The verse goes on in Isaiah 61.1 to say, to proclaim liberty to the captives. Spiritually, all of us have been have been in bondage to sin, but faith in Christ Jesus sets you free. Chances are, if you're like me, and you look at your life, you'll see that there are areas of your life where your old nature you're not victorious over it. You keep doing the same things, and you can try to put um, measures in that help to prevent you from doing that. And though you may have a limited amount of success, but what truly transforms us in that is being filled with the Holy Spirit and allowing Him to change us from the inside out. Grace is what transforms us. And so if you're wrestling with areas, maybe it's anger or maybe it's gossip or lust, or it doesn't matter what what brand of sin you're wrestling with, If you're struggling with it, the ultimate answer is not working harder, but learning to rely more and call upon your full dependence on Jesus Christ and His grace. He will set you free. I say that to you because I believe that's what the scripture teaches. I say that to you because I've seen Him do it time and time again in my life. He wants to set us free. Jesus said, I came to set you free, and He really will do that. So if we look at that, we see that what God wants to do is to break the chains that bind us. How does that happen? Well, I believe there's some steps that we can take that begin to move us into greater freedom. First of all, to to break the chains that bind us, to live more free, I must listen to the Holy Spirit speaking of one or two things in, in, uh, in this moment or in in the moments to come, that God wants to set you free from, to unshackle you from next. And I believe that today, God will bring to mind some areas of your life where you're wrestling, where where there's not peace in your heart that he wants to set free. And maybe it's an insecurity, maybe it's one of those other uh, sins that I mentioned before, maybe it's feelings of inadequacy, maybe it's the love of money, maybe it's a weakness in your belief. If there's something there that he brings to mind in your life that you're struggling with, the place to begin is is to take that to the Lord and say, Lord, I've not been victorious over this. I can't be victorious. And so I am giving this back to you. I'm asking you to do a work in me through the power of Jesus Christ, through what he did to set me free and through the work of the Holy Spirit, would you begin to change me from the inside out? Now, part of that, part of that moving into the Lord being um, victorious in your life is recognizing that oftentimes there is a lie behind the struggle. There is a, a lie behind the chain. Most of the things that bind us, that keep us imprisoned in our old activity, in our old nature, are built on false beliefs either about God, about ourselves, or about others. The chain of insecurity is based upon the lie um, <laughs> that we do not believe that God not only loves us, but that He is for us and that He likes us. Can I tell you? How many, if you're dead honest, how many of you have a hard time thinking, God likes me? Anybody? Now, if I were to ask you to say, does God love me? Everybody would raise their hand, right? Because that's the right answer. But most of us struggle with believing God likes us. Let me assure you, He likes you more than anyone in the universe. He likes you. He created you. He knows everything about you. Because here's the problem. Here's the lie of the enemy that creeps into us. We're afraid that at some point, God's going to discover just how bad I am. And then he's not only going to not like me anymore, he's not going to love me. He already knew everything you would do, everything I would do, everything you and I would think before his Holy Spirit began to draw you to embrace and trust Jesus Christ as Savior. He's not going to find some dark secret because he already knows it about each and every one of us. He knows the most hidden things within us, and he desires to set us free from those so that they no longer have power over us. Oftentimes, though, there's false belief within our our life. The chain of pride, for instance, is built upon the lie that we are in control or that we need to be in control. Rather than being able to trust that God is for us and that God is working according to his plan and his purpose and I can trust him in everything. But you see, I need to come to the point where I recognize to the Lord and I confess not only my pride, but my efforts to be in control. My, because do you understand what that truly is? When I'm trying to be in control, I'm trying to take God's place. And if I'm trying to take God's place, I'm never going to have victory because I'm blocking his work, his Holy Spirit's work, and the flow of grace into my life and through my life. The chain of lust and covetousness is built upon the lie that um, what we do not have will somehow be more fulfilling than what God has already given us. Let me read that to you one more time. The chain of lust and covetousness, wanting what someone else has, is built upon the lie that we, excuse me, that what we do not have already will somehow be more fulfilling than what God has already given us. Scripture tells us that godliness with contentment is of great value. When we learn to worship the Lord for what he's already given us, it sets our hearts free because we recognize how incredibly generous and good he truly is. He wants to break those chains. And so we need to recognize the lies behind them, and then we need to release that chain and grab a hold of the gospel of grace and recognize that that is where we need to stand. Romans chapter five, verse one and two, says it this way. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who gives us salvation. Through him, we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Grace is not a one-time event. It It is a foundation of everything in our relationship with God. We stand in grace. That means I need it all the time. And so if you're struggling with trying harder, what we need to struggle with instead is truly believing God and His Word. The grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God, we need His grace every single day. And so God wants to break those chains. And so let me give a a couple of those chains that He wants to break in your life and my life. And believe me, I don't say this as if I've arrived. I am very much a work in progress. In fact, he probably has a lot more work to do in me than than probably most of you. Jesus came to break the chains of pride and insecurity. And both of those are like two sides of the same coin. When I am insecure, the focus is on me rather than on God. When I am prideful, the focus is on me rather than on God. Pride and insecurity are are, our most destructive enemies and we must learn to put off these enemies and put on Christ Um, because both of them, the focus is on ourselves. Isaiah chapter two says, the haughtiness of man shall be humbled and the lofty pride of men shall be brought low and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day and the idols shall utterly pass away. The, the way he breaks that is to change our focus from being on ourselves to being on the Lord. And, and that's, that's the, here's the thing. When you begin thinking about yourself, either you're feeling miserable about yourself as if you're totally undeserving, or if you're feeling really good about yourself and you're judging other people because that's usually where it leads, the focus is to ask for forgiveness right in that moment and say, Lord, would you shift my focus to you? Would you help me to focus in on who you are? And, and as and it comes to my view of others. Instead of seeing them as above me or below me, would you allow me to see them through your eyes? To see them the way you see them? To love them the way you love them? We need to remember that God has made us image bearers. We are made to reflect his character and his nature to others. <clears throat> Also, Jesus came to break the chain of fear. Romans chapter 8, verse 15 says, You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have respe- received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Fear, if you struggle with fear, with, it, with, it, with believing that God is with you, because that's ultimately where fear comes from, it comes from not believing he is for you and he is with you, and we've you know we've um, looked in the past at some of the acronyms where fear is false evidence appearing real, and we've looked even at a, a fear cycle that happens within us. We face an uncertain circumstance, we begin to feel out of control, and then there's a change within us chemically, physiologically, um, that that affects our mind and our body, and we get even more nervous. Um, And then the blood, physiologically, the blood drains from our frontal cortex and logic goes out the window. (laughs) Have you ever noticed that? When you start focusing in on fear and it begins to take more in control of you, you don't make sense even to yourself. Your fears don't make sense. And and so at some point, we have to come and realize God is not the one who I'm allowing to be in control here. Fear is. And as Logic disappears, our thoughts disappear, and then we begin becoming even more fearful and it's compounded. The way to break that is to recognize, God, you are in control. You are good. You are for me. You are with me. Because ultimately what fear is, is fear is forgetting that God is with you. It is forgetting that he has already rescued you in Jesus Christ That's why we're told over and over again in the scriptures to fear not, but at the same time to fear God. Because you see, fearing God recognizes who he truly is, his authority, his power, his honor, his glory. And when my mind is focused on God, and I remember that God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, fear has no place to grip its hands into my heart and mind. He sets us free. It is powerful, but it is not more powerful than God. And, and I love this verse in Romans 8:15, because what he does is he points us back to our adoption. He says, "The way to overcome fear is to remember, you're my child, to remember who you are in Christ Jesus. And that's why he says this, the, this contrast. You don't have the um, slavery of fear to fall back into, but remember you've received the Holy Spirit, the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And Abba simply means Daddy. Maybe you're uh, a parent like I am, or maybe you just remember your own childhood. There's something amazing that happens in the life of a child when they're fearful And dad walks into the room. Whatever they're facing, it may still be there, but there's an instant transformation. At least I hope there is. That's that's what we're supposed to be as dads. There should be a transformation that happens because that fear will begin to be released because daddy is here. That's what God's word is saying. is your heavenly father who is perfect, who truly loves you, who has chosen you as his son, as his daughter, is with you. Fear is broken. Likewise, Jesus broke the chains of failure. Philippians 1.6 says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. Jesus never fails. And what did he say in our passage in Ephesians? That we are his workmanship. That means he's not going to fail in you either. You see, all this that I'm trying to highlight here is what we've been given in our position in Jesus Christ. In being seated with him in the heavenly realms at, at the right hand of the Father, we have been given victory. He wants us to live that victory. And so, because Jesus never fails, you and I don't need to worry about failing. About And now when I say that, you and I may not accomplish all the things we think we're supposed to do. But as long as we keep pursuing Jesus, we will, pers- we will accomplish all the work he has for us. It may not be the expectations of others or the expectations that we have on ourselves. But we will fulfill his purpose as long as we keep seeking him. Finally, Jesus breaks the chains of condemnation. And again, in Romans chapter eight, we see there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to his spirit. That's what God wants to do in you. He wants you and I to feel his freedom. There's a difference between conviction and condemnation. God does use conviction in your life and in my life. He does not use condemnation. And to separate the two, we need to to understand where they go, the directions that they head. Conviction is known in the scripture as godly sorrow. Sorrow. 2 Corinthians verse, um, chapter 7, verse 10 says, for godly grief or godly sorrow produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. God will use conviction in your life and in my life to change the direction of your life, to bring you back into relationship with him, to bring you back into intimacy with God. The enemy, however, uses condemnation that leads to destruction. Conviction leads to a change of direction, but condemnation comes from the enemy and leads to breaking us down instead of showing us who we are in Christ Jesus. All right, well, I had a whole lot more there, but I've already gone far enough. So... (laughs) So here's how I want us to wrap up. Ephesians tells us, Ephesians tells us that we, in the beginning, that we've been given every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter one. And so what I I want us to do is I want us to to conclude today as we're celebrating the resurrection because it is the resurrection that gives us life, the resurrection of Jesus that transforms and, and moves us from death to life, I want us to affirm what we've been given, these spiritual blessings. And so I'm going to put up on the screen a list, and, they're, and they're, they're written as well in your bulletin. And I'd just like us to say these out loud as proclamations of what God has given us, not so that we feel great about ourselves, but so that we see the grace of God and what he has given us. And then we ask, Lord, this is who you say I am? Now by your strength, by the working of Holy Spirit, would you enable me to live based upon these truths that come from the Scripture. And you'll notice that most of them come from the book of Ephesians. I haven't taken the time to, to highlight all of them, but we're going to do them as we say them together. So let's put these up on the screen and let's say them together. Number one, uh, first of all, in Christ Jesus, I am blessed. Blessed. In Christ Jesus, I am chosen. In Christ Jesus, I am holy in him. I am blameless in him. I am adopted in Christ. I am beloved in him. I am redeemed in him. I am forgiven in him. I am united in him. I have obtained an inheritance in him. I am sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit. I am resurrected in Him. I am seated with Him in the heavenly places. I am created in Him. I am brought near to God in Him. I am built together in Him. I have boldness in Christ. I have access through Christ. I have confidence in Christ. I am made complete in Christ. I am Christ's friend. I am a joint heir in Christ. I share Christ's life. I died with Christ. I am raised in Christ. I am free from sin in Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. Christ now lives in me. I am a new creation in Christ. That's who we are. The challenge is not thinking it, but living upon the truth of what God has already said. You see, these truths will set you free. They will give you victory in your life over sin, over attitudes, over fear, over failure, over a over feeling like you've got to perform. The law reveals we don't measure up. It reveals what is in us, in and of ourselves, which is sin. But grace reveals what is in God and what he has given to us through Jesus Christ. My prayer is, is that we will learn to live as a reflection of who He has saved us to be. Dear Heavenly Father, would you take your word, your truth, and would you transform us, Lord? Help us, Lord, to, to truly believe that this is who we are in you, that your resurrection over the dead didn't just provide a way for us to escape hell, but provides for us a life that can be glorifying to you, to where you can transform us and make us more and more like the image of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, would you bring victory into our lives? Would you reveal areas in each one of us that you want to work on right now in this this day and in the upcoming days and weeks? Lord, we ask that you would do a work in us that would draw us closer to you. And in so doing, we declare our absolute dependence upon you. We need your grace to transform us. And then, Lord, also would you transform our view of others to see them through the vision of your grace, of your love, of your sacrifice for them, to love them and serve them as you have loved and served us Lord, we have so much to give you praise for. Forgive me for being so self-oriented that I forget the greatness of who you are and what you have done. Lord, we praise you. Thank you for your resurrection. Thank you for your victory. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.